Curtis Tropes. Yep, we're back. We're continuing the season. Uh, we have two episodes, neither of which are written by Chris Chibnall, but both of which are under his show-running watchful eye. Uh, and <laughs> we have a special guest with us today who is um, probably a bigger fan of Doctor Who than, than I am. I, I, I wouldn't deign to compare uh, <laughs> to, to you, Hannah, but we've got Victor here. Everybody Ooh. knows Victor. Hello. Victor! You've made Victor, the leap. when did you start watching Doctor Who? I started watching Doctor Who freshman year of high school after uh, after I got went through a serious depression after I finished Buffy and I searched <laughs> long and hard for a, a show to replace it with and eventually Doctor Who. And this my show, life. I think, I think it's more important to you than Buffy. I mean, oh well, yeah, it's just talk about it's it just more. I watch it more. Uh, like you know, it, it's it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Right, it's still going. It's not like yeah. it didn't spin off into Angel and then get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, the Chris Chibnall's seasons are much more Buffy-ish. You know, they've got That's... more Scoobies, oh, so you must love God. Chris Chibnall, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no. Um, but these two episodes were no, no. The first ones. Well, get well. Yeah, I mean, you guys. Yeah, the first one's dog shit. Second one was not so bad. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But let's jump right into it. We're going to be talking about uh, Orphan 55. Oh my God. All right, all right. So um, what's the, the premise of this episode, Victor? How would you describe it? <laughs> uh, so so uh, Graham finds uh, six coupons for a spa day and then puts them together. But, uh-oh, they're not actually coupons. It's a teleporter, and they get sent to a spa and it's gonna be nice and a relaxing spa. it sounds like it sounds like you're starting to say a word but you're not finishing it are you trying to say spaghetti spaghetti they got sent to a spaghetti? spaghetti day uh no they, they did get sent to a spa as an, an alien spa with a dog person named hyphen with a three can i vote hyphen like the worst costume design of chris chibnall's entire run because it's terrible. I mean, I th- I choose to think of it as great character design and that she is not actually part dog, but is a, She's just a furry. cosplayer of the movie Spaceballs. She's <laughs> dressed as John Candy's character. So I think it's actually really good uh, costume design. Oh my god, you're totally right that it is just John Candy in <laughs> Spaceball. God damn it. Well, it's just funny because we've had cat people in the show previously. Yeah, they've <laughs> looked just, great. Like, I just didn't think, like having seen cats earlier this year, I would have thought that that would be the most disturbing cat costume that I've seen. <laughs> but I actually find hyphen with a three to be more disturbing oh my god <laughs> um but luckily so they're they're at a spa there's like 50 other characters too uh so many and, unnecessary characters in this episode like it's wild well it just seems it's it's not that many i mean it's not even more than for example voyage of the damned uh everyone's favorite uh, Christmas special under the Russell T era, <laughs> where they just introduced a bunch of random characters for the sole purpose of killing them uh, on a on a Titanic, you know, yeah. uh, that's actually in space. I you know I think it's uh, I, I think this is a fine number of characters as long as they're good characters. But, but they're all uh, terrible. All right, so who do we got? Who we got? Introduce us. Okay. Me? Yeah, go for yeah, it. Okay. 
All right. So first we have Ryan gets a worm in his in his belly. Sorry, I thought you were introducing Ryan as one of the side <laughs> characters. No, no, no. But Ryan gets a gets a virus worm in his belly from a vending machine or something. Yeah, it's a uh, hopper virus. It's a it, computer virus that can also infect people because it, clever. <laughs> and then he hallucinates and he meets. He has a meet cute with a girl. Uh, and he's and, told to suck his thumb. Yeah, he's told to suck his thumb, so they're both sucking their thumb, and it's like, oh, look, isn't that cute, I guess. But yeah. really, it's just weird. So then we got old people, because you got to have, like, a lovable old people there. They, they were the and least offensive to me. They were the really? most offensive to me, because yeah. they just had nothing going on. It's Benny, and then Benny's and girlfriend. Val uh, or something? Whose name I've forgotten. Uh, but they, the whole point is that they're like 80 years old and they've just lived unmarried for all that time. I don't understand the purpose of this narratively or as like human beings. Like, why is their marriage status, a, a, you know, of, of value to us as a right. storytelling? Beat? Yeah. Also, yes, talks to them for like two seconds. And from there, we're supposed to believe that they have like a special bond and connection. <laughs> right. For the rest of the episode. <laughs> Like, this, this old lady's husband goes missing, and then he, uh, she's just like, Yes, you have to help me! <laughs> like, you're, you're my only hope, Obi-Wan! I think one of my biggest problems with this episode is, like, they set it at a spa, but why is it a spa, you know? Like, that's, yep. uh, they never really address that. It's like... They don't do anything spa-related for the entire episode. Nope. Yeah. No, they don't stay in any one location for more than, like, five minutes. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, there's a pool, but, I mean, it could be a hotel, you know? Hotels have pools. Well, it's Or it could have just, just been a, a water park or anything. It could have been anything. Well, they yeah. don't have the budget for a water park, David. They could rent this one really fancy house somewhere <laughs> and I call mean, it I, a spa. I thought these were mostly sets, like, on a soundstage, but, I mean, I guess I could be wrong. They look like sets. They're shot like sets. Um, certainly the, the tank that they get into. Oh, uh, for so sure. So basically the doctor is like snooping around immediately because she's like, what's the deal with these free coupons? You know, she's she's kind of like uh, my parents who, <laughs> you know, whenever they like find some kind of deal or whatever, they're always trying to figure out what the, what the, what the catch is. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the doctor's snooping around. For no reason, just like she's suspicious. suspicious. But and again, so she finds her way into like the control room and is like, "Psychic paper, I'm the boss. Uh, what's the deal with this place?" And then it's pretty immediately becomes apparent that like there's some kind of attack going on. Like they're under siege from something. Right. And it, and that something like planted the hopper virus on them or something. Oh, I right. guess. Oh, and I we just later now find out connected. It was the girl. It was the girl the who girl. got infected with the hopper virus who infected Ugh. the place with the hopper virus because her motivation is that she just wants to destroy the spa out of revenge. Uh, because her m- mother, her birth mother, abandoned her to go open a spa. Yeah. And her birth mother. Wanted to open a spa because uh, it's free real estate because this is an orphan planet. So you see they're doing this kind of like thematic thing, you know, with orphans. But I also... 
What did you think of that, Victor? I so I really liked how uh, the terrorists in this one just like their only motivation is that they're gonna blow up the spa that their mom works at, and they're like treated as super sympathetically, and like, oh man, she just like is a little confused and lost right now, but like her motives, ooh, they're so compelling. Whereas in Kerblam, yeah. the uh, the worker activist terrorist is like immediately <laughs> blown up without a second thought, and like the fact that it's yeah, like yeah. It's confused. The, you know, this orphan guy, you know, she's like, uh, you, you know, she gets like a heroic death. She gets a ton of character moments with uh, with Ryan. Uh, it's, there's almost like a little playful romance, potentially. Yeah. And then you got this guy in, you know, Kerblam that's just like, oh, well, he's a terrorist. He doesn't deserve to live. However, uh, the scene between her and Ryan where they're flirting did give me... Perhaps they give perhaps the best line from the entire Chibnall era, where they're just sitting there, to, and then Gaz is jealous, and she's like, "What are you guys talking about?" And Ron just like, "Mostly our parents being dead." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that wasn't a bad line. I mean, it was a little self-aware, I guess. Um, the writer of this also wrote my personal least favorite episode. Correct the. Uh, um, the, the the ghost monument no is no, that no, right? no, oh. no 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 they don't write ghost monument ghost monument was written by chibnall they wrote uh it takes you away oh that's right <laughs> this is this episode was written by the writer of it takes you away which was also long and meandering and had no point so i it makes a lot of sense well this one had a point it has a very heavy-handed political point all right well yeah let's get to that all right so the big twist for this one is that we find out that the planet where the spa is located was Earth the whole time. Twist! They're in, like, Serbia. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, it would normally beg the question, like, why build a spa on the remnants of a dead planet Earth? But they say, oh, well, what happened was... When Earth got destroyed by global warming and then nuclear war at the same time, all the rich people left, and so the planet just became free real estate. It's free real estate. So the the bad guy for the episode is trying to flip the planet for profit by just building a spa there. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. I, there's some talk about like potentially terraforming the planet, but I guess it requires a capital investment of some kind. I guess. I just I don't get or, it. Or or like, it's like people there are producing, uh, like oxygen or something, and so I I, I also don't get it. I it <laughs> it's something to do with producing more oxygen to make the planet livable, yeah. and also terraforming it. But it involves a spa, which, again, just why is it a spa? I, that's all I really want to know. Yeah. Um, so the main threat of this planet is not just that it's lacking in oxygen. What, what's the main threat? <laughs> the fucking dreg monsters or whatever they're called. The uh, dregs. The, the dregs of humanity. Okay, all right. Can can someone explain something to me? Are they just mutated people? Is that what they are? Yeah, or... that's what they said. Yeah, they say they're just mutated people. Yeah, Ugh. but apparently, like, they're mutated by like just regular old nuclear weapons, 
and that somehow has changed them into like non-gendered white scaly monsters that I mean I have will say this is teeth this and is not breathe carbon dioxide <laughs> instead of air This is not my least favorite monster design um like I think they look like mildly terrifying in in the right light when they're shot correctly and not well, horrible CGI bullshit um, I think they they all look pretty stupid I, and yeah. like Creative camera work can only take you so far. I think they looked fine until you got to see them in the daylight. They look stupider as you got to see them more and more throughout the episode. For sure, for sure. They kind of look like, uh, but they're like terrifying enough. They've got like weird horse teeth that are kind of sharp and (laughs) I don't know. It's weird. It's freaky. Don't look like mutated humans. Is the biggest thing. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Not just about making the thing that looks the scariest. No, listen, I. I, I agree with you. They do not look like humans. I would not say that, <laughs> ah, yes, perfect mutated human. But if you're just trying to design a scary monster to freak out your audience, you could do a lot worse than this. You could do sheets again, you know? <laughs> we yeah, gotta, they we gotta... They didn't do, they didn't do cloth this yeah. time. So, <laughs> they get an F+. But they plus. did make a monster whose weakness is air, yeah. which is rough. Yeah, hey, that's less bad. Le- <laughs> I mean, for the for the majority of the of the episode, you know, once they figure out who these creatures are, they like find themselves just constantly spraying them with oxygen, mm-hmm. and then being like, "Well, that's all. That's all I have to do." <laughs> Their weakness is air. Um, yeah, not not great. But um. You forgot the most heartbreaking scene of the episode. The real yeah, heartstrings are tied. Benny. Yeah, when Benny? when <laughs> so they go out looking for Benny because Benny disappears and uh, his his old old wife or not wife <laughs> uh, says they all have to keep looking for him and they just she goes just going Benny, <laughs> Benny, <laughs> Benny, Benny in the jets, <laughs> Benny in the dregs, and then um. <laughs> They finally find Benny, and I, I thought he had mutated, but David told me that's not the case. But for some reason, he's. I mean, Wait, I don't, that's we what don't I see anything related to that. I, I, I'm pretty sure that like it just said he just said kill me because they were like gonna eat him and like well, rip him to but, shreds. But he's like banging on. I, I thought he was like okay. I, I interpret it to be that he's yeah. mutated. And that's then, how I interpreted it too. But how would that make any sense? Because everybody else spends a lot of time out in the atmosphere and they don't get mutated that's true yeah that's a good point (laughs) (laughs) and like i don't there's just nothing to suggest that mutating more dregs is the threat of these guys i mean they're threat enough as it is they got big old teeth they got claws they're gonna kill you that's all and he's just like kill me i don't want to die a violent death yeah, well, he, so kill me. Well, he, 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 what he says is he like not bangs on the door and you don't see him. He just goes, uh, "What's his wife's name?" Like Valley Benny. Or yeah, no, they're oh both named God. Benny. He's, he's like Lady Benny. Will you marry me? <laughs> he's like, "Yes, of course I will, Benny." And then he goes, "And somebody please shoot me in the face." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh god 
Yeah, and then they do. She she's like, "Well, he asked me to," and the doctor's like, "How dare you?" Oh uh, yeah, I only use bombs, not guns. Yeah, my, my favorite thing about thirteen is her impeccable moral code. Code standing. Yeah. What was the thing you were saying that like she keeps telling people that it's their fault and that they have a responsibility to go do stuff? Well, right? yeah, and it's insane because at the end she just abandons two of the people and she's like, ah, oh, they can take care of themselves. Even yeah. Though, throughout the entire episode, she's like, we can't just leave them. You made the situation that made this. We have to take care of this. It's our responsibility. <laughs> and she's like, ah, oh, they and can The doctor it. doesn't really like to take risks or, you know, risk her own life no. when she doesn't have to. I mean, she's not really a... Very heroic figure in this episode. Nope. Like, does she even really like do anything to solve any of the problems, or is she just more of like on a middle management type, kind of telling other people what to do? Oh, very middle management. But like the whole episode ends on a middle management note instead of like her <laughs> actually going back to this planet and rescuing the two people that she could have rescued. Now that she's in her TARDIS, which can travel through space and time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's so the dumb. point is that this is the dark ending episode. This is the, the episode where everything's like very sad because this is a This is the one that future. ends on a lecture. Yeah. It's yeah. so boring. It's so bad. It's a potential future of Earth because this could happen, you know? Like the environment could go bad and that could start famines and that could turn us all into trees that eat people. <laughs> Angry trees. <laughs> And, uh, she uses the word angry trees to describe it. So I guess that could happen. But so yeah, it, just recycle. It's just <laughs> weird because we've never done a potential future episode. It's not a yeah, standard. not in such not in such explicit terms. Yeah. like when we go to New Earth, David Tennant doesn't say like. Uh, yeah, you know, we might end up on New Earth, we might end up on a different planet. You know, the world might get destroyed in nuclear holocaust. We don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's well, we like, do know no, how the... this is the future. He, yeah. ta- he talks about it like he's reading it out of a book. Yeah, you know, like when they go to see the end of the the Earth back in season one, <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, no, this is this is what happens to Earth for sure, definitely." Like, there's yeah, nothing we and there's can no do about implication it. that like, oh, there's a bunch of life forms down on that planet being burnt to a crisp, right? <laughs> That doesn't seem to be happening. In exactly. That yeah. It's a. Uh, um, but a, hey, you know, anything could happen. So, I mean, like, the question is just, like, does that make the show Rick and Morty now? Like, why should we care about any character that we see if all we're seeing is potential timelines, not the actual timeline as it stands? Uh, Good question, David. <laughs> <laughs> or you you guys, are, that's not important to you guys. You just want an episode with stakes that actually has a point. I mean, yes, but but also, like, I, I agree that this is definitely fucking with the potential continuity of Doctor Who. You know, like, it's it's yeah. not it's not a great addition to the canon of the Hooniverse. Right. I mean, I kind of felt the same way when we introduced parallel universes in but, uh, in season with RTDs. two. But but at least that was used very sparingly. Yeah, for and sure. That, they specifically made it so that it was a special thing. Like it's not like this episode starts off with them like entering like a weird time zone thing, and it's like just like this casually. Is a potential future. 
I mean, they just get teleported, which, yeah. I mean, it seems like it shouldn't even work from within the TARDIS, considering the fact that, like, they're sort of outside of time when they're in the TARDIS. Dude, this is now the third episode where things can just, like, fuck around with the TARDIS, though. Like, <laughs> the impenetrability yeah. of the TARDIS is certainly been called into question it's in the Chibnall years. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so, I mean, this was not a great... Oh, we didn't even talk about green hair. Oh, we God. We didn't even talk about it. Because they're the most it's... useless characters. Yeah. Yeah. So, green, green. I mean, this is, like a, this is like a popular comedic actor in England, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a dude. Yeah, yeah. Green. I don't think I've seen him in anything. But I he just had the had vibe no of, like, a popular actor. Do you know what he's from, <laughs> Victor? Uh, he's from The Inbetweeners. Ah. Oh, yeah. He plays Jay on The Inbetweeners. Um, okay. So there's but a mechanic he's, he's and his son, hair. and he's got green hair. They both have green hair. And the the dad is really shit at being a mechanic, and the kid is really good at it. And so their conflict is the dad doesn't listen to the kid. And then at the end of the episode, the kid, like, storms out, and it causes a whole series of useless, annoying obstacles. Uh, and then right. eventually... Right, and the dad immediately changes his ways. He's yeah. like, oh, if only my son were here. He's way right. better at this than me. And yeah. it's like, well, why didn't you say you that listen. before? What made you change your mind? I don't right. know. But then his son is like, I was here the whole time, and I can use the 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 vir- computer virus to turn this chemical into that chemical, which is fuel for teleporters. <laughs> and I can teleport only four people somewhere. Six, <laughs> Six people, but but two first, and then four separately. But it's right. also, it is very off-brand. The doctor just like lets two people like be the ones that do the heroic sacrifice instead. Yeah, I, I mean, mean normally... for this doctor. Well, not for this doctor, <laughs> but for the doctor. Yes. Well, normally it's just played like you know. The doctor is very upset that somebody else had to sacrifice themselves. But not this one. He's this... ultimately kind of accepting it. And this one is just like, well, good, you know? They deserve to die. They'll be fine. <laughs> and they'll be fine. They deserve to die, but they'll be fine. Did you see those guns? The, the... Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Those guns were good. They only had one of those, though. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, the thing that I find really interesting about the juxtaposition between this episode and the next episode is that, you know, the Doctor specifically is not preventing global warming from destroying the Earth in this one. Yeah. And in the next episode, we meet a character who just so happens to have an idea for a perpetual energy source... And yet, the Doctor (laughs) doesn't feel the need to just sort of, you know, push him him in the right direction so that he discovers that perpetual energy source, thus saving the planet. Something to think about. Yep. Um, any, wait, before we move on to, to the next episode, any last thoughts on Orphan 55? My last thought is, um, Ryan gets smooched in this one. Maybe Yaz is jealous, question mark. I don't think that they're actually going to move forward with that until Chris Chibnall's writing again. I don't think that he told any of his staff that they were doing that. Really? You don't think he told anyone? It's it's definitely in this episode for sure. Yeah. It's definitely where? Yes, jealous. Yeah, she like, she she, uh, interjects when they're having their little conversation. Pay attention to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Well, then maybe it is still happening. I'm. I. I hope it. I hope it happens. I'm so rooting for them as a couple. <laughs> they have so much chemistry. Uh, they're very important to each other, obviously, and and they share so many interests. Like nothing. <sighs> well, they're both about as boring, so that's pretty. Yeah. So they're a perfect that, match. That's something to bond over. <laughs> My last thought for this episode is there is a squid that shoots sex juice on them. Yeah, it opens with uh, them getting cleaning squid juice, squid juice off yep. them. Yep, yep, that's true. Nothing they in this episode connects. They are covered in squid sex liquid. All right, Victor, any last thoughts from you? Um, yeah, no, it was. It's all over the place. Uh, too many characters. Um, just the right amount of squidges. Bad episode, <laughs> no frogs. All right. On a frog rating, zero out of any frogs. Um, all right. So, so episode four, uh, was Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Um, and I like this one. It's a great title to start. I, it's a I great think that's title. A fun title. It's a great episode. I am all on board for some Nikola Tesla propaganda. Like, let's get it out I there, think, folks. I think it's become a little cliche over time. I, I mean, mean, it certainly yeah, has. Like Nikola Tesla, he's the bad boy of you know of the Gilded Age, you know, <laughs> scientific community. He's the bad boy. You know, you like him because he he's doesn't the follow underdog. the rules. You know, he's like. He's like, fuck your system, you know, I'm not one of these corporate stooges. But, like, Thomas Edison's the one who actually, like, introduced most of the things that we actually use. Because, you know, it was a capitalist system, and they did, you know, they did have to sell these things, not just invent them. Well, yeah, but, I mean, Nicholas Tesla was yeah, but... the current wars. Yeah. It's Nicola. There's no, there's no S, Victor. Come on. Get on that history shit. Nikolai what? Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, like, yeah, Edison got shit out there, but like, listen, I'm I'm all for anyone writing a semi-detailed episode about all the cool shit that Nikola Tesla thought up, regardless of, uh, you know what what ended up happening. Um, right. And, well, and I, mean, I just think... to sort of compare it to to older, you know, sort of let's meet a famous person episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got like Vincent and the Doctor is like sort of considered like the best one of these from from New Who at least. Um, sure, you know, because it was it kind of put a twist on on uh, you know what we think of when we think of Van Gogh, but it also conforms to a lot of the stereotypes we had about him that he was seen as crazy, that he never made any money, that he was depressed. But then it adds on some like other quirks to him, like him hitting on Amy, or you know uh, the fact that you know he. I don't know. He had he had other quirks. Yeah. Well, and he gets uh, and to then, see his paintings at the end too. The yeah, museum. right. And that was the other thing is like it adds this element of Doctor Whoiness to it that he gets to travel to the future and see that all of his paintings actually became famous and and then you know it it, it fills him with joy even though he does eventually still end his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, the. Uh, and then, like, you know, a bad episode with a historical figure would be, like, I don't know, maybe the maybe the Rosa Parks episode wasn't actually that great. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. In retrospect. Um, I mean, that one, I mean, the one with uh, 
Queen Victoria or whatever? Like the people like the werewolf one? Sure, yeah. Like ones ones where the, the, the historical figure is just kind of incidental are bad, but also the ones where they're kind of revisionist and yeah. are like yeah, the only reason that Rosa Parks was able to ride that bus is because of our heroes. And, <laughs> right. You know, uh, she's also the most important person ever, and no one else could have ever done what she did. And, and you know, she, uh, she was important because she has an asteroid named after her. Right. <laughs> like, that would be an example of a bad episode with a historical figure. So, yeah. where does this one rank among those? I mean, I would definitely put it closer to the Vincent Van Gogh side of things. Yeah, I would, right. I I like this one. I can't tell whether I would have liked it if it was a Russell or a Moffat era episode. I think as much. I would have. It reminded me of like at least Russell era yeah, yeah, episode. I mean, you know, like there it was. It was quirky and fun in all the ways that like you want a Doctor Who episode to be quirky and fun. Like the plot, I think, was like pretty thematically sound. Like there were a couple of missteps here or there. But I think overall, it was pretty tight. There weren't a surplus of characters. Um, like, we had it fun with the figure. This one is so much less confusing to, like, summarize. Yeah. Like, I can do it in just, like, a couple sentences because it's just very straightforward. It's, yeah. like, basically there's some aliens showing up trying to kidnap Tesla because he's an inventor and they need him to invent stuff because they're not technologically savvy. And so they're kind of representing Thomas Edison, who is, you know, trying to profit off of Tesla without providing anything good of his own, right? Yep. That's the deal? Yep, yep. So yeah, pretty straightforward, this one. Pretty thematically centralized. Uh, you know, anything interesting that you guys noted uh, at, at the start of this episode? Anything interesting? At the start? I think it opened with a fun, wacky energy that we really haven't seen in the Chibnall era yet. I think it yeah. had... Right, because the Doctor just kind of pops in. Yeah, There's yeah. There's no, like, yeah, explanation it... of how she got there or why. It doesn't it's start... Like, I'm here now. Yeah, it doesn't start with them getting out of the TARDIS, which I think is, like, how Chibnall pretty much starts, like, every one of his episodes, almost. Mm-hmm. It just starts in the middle of an adventure, which gave it a lot more energetic momentum going in. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, um, one thing I noticed is that they described a Silurian weapon as an alien weapon, which, you know, oh, um, wow. that's not actually that's a, alien. Yeah, that's actually kind of a um, In episode four of season five, we find out that they were actually... It's also kind of like a microaggression against the Silurians. I mean, that's, that's their native home. <laughs> Yeah, that's like I mean, that's like taking like a Native American like spear and being like, "Look at this alien weapon," or "Look at this foreign yeah. weapon." <laughs> yeah, it's not great, but you know, it's just a little mistake. Yeah, could happen to anybody. Um, but the point is that there's alien weapons about, and that's scary. And Nikola Tesla is like aliens. I've theorized about this myself. Yeah, Everyone I'm, said I was crazy. I thought Tesla and Edison were so, so, so much better than Rosa Parks or any of the other oh, like, yeah. historical... Like, they're honestly two of the best written characters of the Chibnall era, easily, if not the two best written characters, honestly. Uh, I mean, they're both believable. Yeah, like, right. you know, like, not, they're not spouting, like, nonsense that, like, doesn't make sense for their era or that, you know... <laughs> is wildly out of character and you're just like yeah all right th- this is fine this is and, fun and they have a conflict that's like easy to understand and a philosophy yeah. that's easy to understand 
Um, For sure. And they do state it pretty explicitly. Like, close to the end in the big climax, there's a part where Tesla and Edison get into a screaming match about how, like, everyone's going to remember me in a bunch of years because (laughs) I have an imagination. Oh, yeah? Well, you don't have any financial imagination. Eh, fuck you. Eh, yeah, fuck you. Eh, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) No. Right. Did anyone else, in that conversation where the doctor and Nicholas Tesla are talking about how exciting it is to be an inventor and, like, how it's the best thing <laughs> in the world, did anyone else get, like, shipping vibes there? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were making eyes at each other. I was like, are, is the doctor going to fuck Nikola Tesla? Like, <laughs> what's going on, guys? Honestly, this also would lot. be even better if that had happened. It- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd say this episode is pretty horny for Tesla. I'm reminded yeah. of uh, there was this comedy show on the History Channel. Um, bear with me. Uh, <laughs> where the joke was that they brought Thomas Edison back to life and were like introducing him to all the new stuff that was around. Um, and Edison was riding around in a car and they're like, oh, yeah, this is this one's pretty cool. It's called a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> And then it just, like, they go silent, and it's like, wait, Tesla is, like, the cool one now? Uh, <laughs> and then the whole rest of the me? episode is Edison just trying to prove that he's the, the cool one, yeah. and that oh. he actually is really cool, because he actually made a lot of money off of his stuff. Um, and, <laughs> and Tesla, you know, ended up dying Broke. poor and in a ditch. But, uh, yeah, I mean- so I'm reminded of that. For me, what I really liked about this episode, the reason why I think this might be the best episode of the Chibnall era is because it's the only episode where the Doctor actually does things and feels like the Doctor to me. Yes. Yeah. She takes action. I mean, she certainly comes up with a lot of interesting solutions. You know, they get beamed up onto a spaceship and you meet the bad guy who is, like, basically the Rachnos from... uh, uh, from the Runaway Bride in, yeah. in season three, yeah, almost copy like, and paste. almost exactly, except for instead of being spider themed, she's scorpion themed. <laughs> so okay, different species, got it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Doctor sort of gets them off of that ship, and then they come up with a plan to like trap the Queen, and then shock her with a Tesla coil, of course, because it has to be Tesla themed solution. But, you know, we get to see the Doctor have, te- like, make decisions and be smart, but also have, like, teeth uh, when she, like, faces the villain. Teeth! Uh, the villain is super campy, and, uh, I, if it, like, I don't know if, if it was, like, a Russell episode, I might be more critical of it, but just, like, it's so much better than a traditional Chibnall era villain, like the guy with right. the, this isn't tooth face or it's slick not back hair, with a deep voice going like I like to kill. Yeah. People. Do you know who it reminded like, me of though? It it reminded me exactly of like the Spider Lady from uh, yeah, th- that's the, the Rachnos. That's yeah, what I was yeah, referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just that exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, except for a scorpion instead of spider. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that the general trend is that. I think Chibnall didn't really have a vision in season 11, and so for season 12, he's just like, oh, I'm just going to do what Russell did. That's when the show was at its most popular. I'm just going to do that again. And Yeah, but she, but the problem with this one, in my opinion, is that she never says, eat you all up, I'll snicker-snack, <laughs> which is my favorite line from the spider lady. Um, and it never happens, or anything even close to that ridiculous. Well, no, there is one thing that is extremely ridiculous, which is, Oh yeah. When, when, uh, when like they're in the shed and like all the aliens are coming at them, 
And then they all stop, and they're like, oh, what is that? Why is that? And then Scorpion Lady makes her big surprise appearance. The music cue is the most insane music cue I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. They were like... <laughs> Very scary. Yeah, it just... It was pretty um, intense. It goes insane. I mean, it's like we're starting <laughs> hitting random keys on the keyboard. Yeah, you also pointed uh, out something that I thought was pretty funny, which is um, when they're on the spaceship... Um, the, the, the scorpion lady is like, oh yes, doctor, you're very smart. We can use you. And then like three minutes later, it's like, we know what has use and you have no use to us. <laughs> and then starts like trying to zap her and kill her. So it's like, well, you, you changed your mind pretty quick. Yeah. I did like the camera line that follows that. The one? The uh, oh yeah. Where she's like, well, Az is very smart um, too. She knows what this is. And she's like, yeah, oh, it's right. a camera. And they, like, f- blind her with the flash and then zap away. Um, I don't know. Whatever I, I like that. the classic say cheese? You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. You um, got a camera. You're using it as a weapon. You do, say cheese. Yeah. So, but, you... but, but shortly after that, uh, we, we also get, I think, maybe my favorite scene in the episode, which is where Nikola Tesla goes inside the TARDIS. And this has got to be my favorite, like, someone entering the TARDIS scene of Chibnall's entire run. Like, this one felt earned, it felt fun, it felt fresh, it felt, like, exciting. Whereas every other time it's been like, yeah, whatever, it's the TARDIS, blah. You know, like, like I, I liked it. We don't get that that often, and, and this one felt good. I just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe yeah, you guys I disagree. Yeah, I mean, what, what? I mean, like, Tesla says he's figured it out. He's like, oh, it's a dimension. Fold inside another dimension. Right, like, but they, they give it a nice moment. He's just super intuitive and has fig- Like, the joke with Tesla over and over again is just, oh, he's figured everything out. He knows what radar is. He knows what television is. All of the typical time period jokes don't work on him because he has already thought of basically every invention that's ever been invented. Right. And a couple that still haven't been. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I thought this episode was good. I like that the Doctor got to have her, her first real, like, oncoming storm moment where she was like, you know, don't mess with me. I'm, I'm done giving you second chances. And she sends her back to the ship and zaps her. Yeah, I mean, she's done that with other people, too, where it's like, you had your chance. I'm not going to save you this time. Not really. Uh, I well, feel like she I mean, has. it's usually for bad reasons, like with the uh, terrorist boy in Kerblam, and you know. But it's not like painted as like being like dark and sinister and badass. So this one, it was more of a traditional like oncoming storm kind of moment. Do you agree with that, Hannah? I didn't feel like this one was played as like a really dark thing. I mean, she doesn't I... even kill the scorpion lady. She just shocks her a little bit and then her spaceship flies away well so i thought the plan was to kill her i I will say the part of this episode that tricked me up was them actually defeating the bad guy and like maybe i missed something but like from the way she was talking it sounds like they were trying to kill the queen and then everyone else would die too because they're a hive mind or something and i was like and i was kind of like hmm genocide all right, not a great look, Doctor. Well, it's a, it's pretty common for Rachnos spider creatures. Yeah. And that's basically what happened last time. Right, but, like, the whole point of that is that Don is there to stop him from, like, Right, which is not overboard. the role of these companions. Right, anyway. exactly. Their role is to ask a bunch of questions, like, 
Who was Tesla? Was he the guy who invented the car? Uh, I don't know. What did he do? Wait, <laughs> wait a second. Are you telling me that you thought of radar? Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. The the companions, again, have no arcs or personality other than, like, audience surrogate question askers. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, so I thought the Doctor was gonna try to kill them all, but then what it looked like would happen is she zapped the Queen back to the ship, then zapped the ship, and then all of the other scorpions teleported back to the ship as well and then the ship flew away like am i wrong is that not what happened i I don't know if it's meant to be like kind of ambiguous just because they couldn't fully commit to having the doctor kill the character so they kind of just left it open okay maybe because i I also don't understand why like zapping the queen made all of the other scorpions teleport back there i guess because she just said let's get out of here Wow, looks like we're blasting off again. Yeah, no, that part didn't work as well as some of the other stuff. I also let... Yeah, but I mean, I liked the moment right before that because it's the Doctor being kind of clever where the Doctor fakes reaching for the, the teleporter to teleport back to the ship. Yeah. And then the Scorpion Lady grabs it instead like, ha I guess she wanted this. Uh, why? And she's like, well, I, I didn't really want it. I wanted you to have it. And then she zaps it with the sonic screwdriver and then teleports the, the lady back to the ship where she can be zapped. So that's that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And I, I, But then that moment is a little confusing. And I also <laughs> yeah. did, like, about that conversation, I like that there's, like, the, I've my world burned or something like that. And, you know, it calls back to the season opener where the doctor saw Gallifrey burn again. Uh, so it's like, oh, look, arc and uh, emotion. Right, and but character. it's not good arc. I'm so frustrated by the destroyed Gallifrey again thing because that yeah. was Russell's. That was Russell's invention. Yeah. All right. Russell invented that because he thought, all right, this is the best way to characterize the Doctor as someone who is old and has seen some shit. And right. that has caused deep internal pain. And that's seeing his planet be destroyed and being the cause of his planet being well, destroyed. Well, and also he didn't want to have to deal with the baggage of 26 seasons of Old Who when he's trying to reboot a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it, it makes sense to make that choice when that's what you're working with, you know? Right, but, but that, that arc has to ultimately lead at some point to him saving Gallifrey and bringing it back. Right. Which is what Moffat did. And Moffat was able to actually maintain the character after that arc is complete. Because after that, he's just sort of lost. Like, he doesn't have a purpose anymore. And he has to sort of question his own morality and why he's doing this. Why does he keep going on now that he's, you know, fixed his big mistake? He's not atoning for anything anymore. But now... Chibnall has said, all right, now the Doctor has to go back and atone again for the destruction of Gallifrey, which she feels responsible for, despite not really having had any opportunity to stop it. Yeah. Right. It's stupid. It is. It's very (laughs) dumb. It's very dumb. It's, you know, I I think the first ten seasons of Doctor Who work pretty cleanly as one cohesive arc, despite all its weird continuity fluctuation <laughs> but the right and dips in quality yeah and yeah but peaks but throughout quality, you know the the time war stuff and like the doctor's character makes sense right uh this is yeah chibnall's era definitely does not have 
feel as natural and cohesive as a continuation. It's just, it's entirely underdeveloped. It's, it's, you know, what if we took a dash of this and a pinch of this and a handful of that? It's trying to recreate something that you just don't have. Right, exactly. And, and it's, like, no, you need to create something new. And, you know, that's why we have this doctor who very rarely feels like a doctor at all and who doesn't do anything half of the time and just, like, <laughs> is useless and disappointing in so many ways. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But I guess we'll keep watching anyway. So we're, I think this episode, you know, it ranks it ranks pretty okay in 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 my book, but it's nothing like that special. I'm just I'm 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 not feeling enraged in this episode, but I'm not feeling like okay, we're back to like season ten or anything before that. I don't even feel like we're up to the level of like season seven, really, for the most part. Like I, I would say, I still. F- I still feel like we're in the pits. Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, I would say if this episode... We're climbing out of the pits. If this episode is we're in the, pits. the average episode, then I would say it's at least better than... It would probably be a better season than season seven, but... Right, but if this is the, the peak, peak of yeah. what we can expect from this season, then we're in the pits. Yeah, we yeah. We seriously are. Yeah. yeah. But we can climb out of the pits. You know what's coming <laughs> next time? Jadoon. Rhinocerai. Yep. Yeah, Jadoon. and it's a it's it's by the same writer. It's by uh, Nita Manzor. So... Oh, the same one who did this one. Or, or no, sorry, it's the same director, not the same oh, writer. Okay. Um, so it'll at least be directed competently, because that was the other thing. Orphan Fifty Five was like a fucking mess. Oh, I yeah. could not yeah, keep track of what was going what was on. Happening. It was so confusing. I didn't tell what was happening in Spyfall either. But this one, nope. very clear what was happening, yeah. except for that last shot where th- they maybe changed it at the last second yeah. to make it so yeah. that the Scorpion um, Lady ran away. <laughs> yeah, the director, the director of uh, Tesla was Nita Manzor. The writer was Nina Metavir. Um, so thank you, Nina, for a competent episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next time for another trip in the TARDIS in another TARDIS trope. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me.